Hey guys, welcome to episode 276 of Built on Passion. I'm your host, Matt Delabono, and this week we have on Knox Provisions founder, Chris McElroy. Knox Provisions has reimagined one of the most iconic tools of exploration, adventuring, and the great outdoors, binoculars. So how does one get started on such a quirky venture? Well, for Chris, it took building a successful speaker brand into the stratosphere of success and flying a little too close to the sun. It was his first major bow into entrepreneurship, and they really, really saw a lot of success with it. When you're directly starting to collaborate with Riza, I think it's safe to say you made it. Honestly, you can't really miss working with the Wu-Tang Clan in any capacity really should be a technical milestone of entrepreneurship. I mean, I think so. Anyway, that trial by fire positioned Chris to be in the perfect mindset to start Knox Provisions. Knox Provisions is bringing binoculars back into vogue and bringing them into the 21st century. It's interesting how binoculars have been pretty synonymous with time spent outdoors and general adventures of all kinds. Despite being such a recognizable tool, it's not something that's really been modernized until now. Knox is raising the quality, dropping the price, and, well, making binoculars cool again. Their designs are awesome and make this dusty tool more of a functional accessory. Beyond a long-needed update to the classic tool, Knox is using their products as a jumping-off point to break down barriers in the outdoor space and open it up for people to enjoy getting outside and experiencing how life-changing being outside could be. In this episode of Built on Passion, Chris McElroy shares a more sustainable approach and attitude to bring into a new and budding business, some pitfalls he faced in his first entrepreneurial endeavor and how he managed to avoid them the second time around, and the how and why behind Knox Provision. Do you own or do marketing for an outdoor travel, wellness, or fitness product company? If you enjoy listening to our podcast built on passion, have a brand of your own and are interested in joining one of Red Yeti's upcoming giveaways, we'd love to have you. Our giveaway campaigns are a great way for you to gain exposure and build a targeted audience of potential customers. We've worked with hundreds of brands over the years, chances are you've probably seen our giveaways, and we've put together giveaways related to the outdoor fitness, wellness, and health spaces. If you're interested in partnering or joining one of our giveaways, just message us on Instagram. Our handle is at Ready Yeti. That's R-E-D-D-Y-Y-E-T-I. Just tell us you'd like to join one of our upcoming giveaways and someone from our team will be in touch. Remember, just message us on Instagram at Ready Yeti. That's R-E-D-D-Y-Y-E-T-I. All right, all right. Well, hang on one second before we actually jump into this episode. I just wanted to say thank you. Really, thank you for supporting everything we're trying to do. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being engaged, being curious, and just being there supporting the show. We work really hard to put together a really interesting show and have on guests that are truly doing something progressive, interesting, and building something truly special. If you are looking for a way to show your support and help us continue to do what we are doing, one of the biggest things you could do, and I know it seems like a really small thing, but is leave a review. Plus, it helps inform other people what your experience of this podcast has been like. So that's basically it. I just wanted to say a big old thank you to you, the listener. Please leave a review. It is extremely helpful and uh, you look great. And that's it. Bye. How have you been? How are you? Doing pretty well. Happy it's Friday. And yeah, it's always a busy week here at Knox. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I guess just to dive right in, who are you and what do you do? My name is Chris McElroy. I'm the founder and 
CEO of Knox Provisions. You could say I identify as a designer, and that's sort of how I found myself in the world of entrepreneurship. And that really all began on a kind of a quest in college to study business. And I started off in finance, kind of found myself going, okay, this is cool, but where do all these numbers come from? And then that led into marketing. And within marketing, I was fascinated by all of these different channels. And I learned that, you know, the four P's, the classic four P's, product, price, place, promotion. And I always thought to myself, well, you know, it doesn't matter if you have Justin Bieber selling your product on sale at Walmart. If the product isn't good, like sure, you'll sell them. But if the product's not good, you have nothing. Like what's there beyond the product? What is this product? And it was my last semester in college. And I took a class with a Loyola Marymount University entrepreneurship side, teamed up with the Otis School of Design. And the Otis Industrial Design professors taught the LMU kids and vice versa. The business professors taught the design kids. And I learned about industrial design and what product design was and how that all worked and you know watched Objectified. And it really blew my mind because I just spent the next few months going around being like, who designed this? This is terrible. And you start to realize that everything that isn't you know naturally made is designed by someone. And a lot of the times it can be better. So that got the wheels ticking. And a friend who I grew up skiing with had started a company making these clip-on speakers. And they were so cool. They were rugged. They were rechargeable. They were loud. They clipped onto your belt. They worked with iPods. And I started, you know, right after I finished that class, using one of these speakers and skating around and trying to sell it. And and that really kind of got the wheels turning. So I know we talked a little bit about that. After you, you know, really, I guess, started to take the plunge into entrepreneurship, where did you take it from there? Obviously, you know, Knox is where you ended up, but what led you to cross over to, I guess, take that first? Well, to be honest, as I said, like growing through college and just exploring, I didn't really have much of a career prospect outside of, let's say, sales. I grew up working in a bike shop. I sold life insurance as an intern in college. And I wasn't really looking forward to doing that in the future. Meanwhile, my friend was building out this little company and I joined him, put a little street team together in LA, moved back to San Francisco, and really just started selling the product and living on the floor of a garage for next to nothing, just because that seemed like a great thing to do. And it was a very sort of lifestyle-driven move. And I went out and I started selling these speakers. And they were it was called Scully Boom at the time. And they were, like I said, clip-on, loud, rechargeable, these fun little speakers. We were building a lifestyle brand. We were all about like urban cycling and skiing. And and the thing was, you know, I landed some deals, but I kept running into people going, hey, you know, it's loud, it's rugged, it's got a clip, it works with your iPod, it's got Bluetooth. And people going, yeah, 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 you guys are cool. But they would look at it and then they'd be like, they'd walk away. And the product looked pretty polarizing. It was inspired by like a Japanese vinyl toys with like a kind of almost like an animated character with a speaker in one of its eyes. And I just thought to myself, man, if this thing just looked like a little different and kept the same DNA, like my friends would buy it and I would want that. And maybe some other people would want that too. And so I kind of, as a skunk work, started, you know, carving a block of clay into a hexagon that was chamfered and, you know, figured out the right size and started learning sketch up and translating that to working with our factory and, and got a prototype. And first prototype was just terrible and huge. It was the wrong size. And then the next prototype that came was just perfect. 
fit in the palm of your hand, looked really dope. And we ended up kind of in a whirlwind doing a Kickstarter. The Kickstarter was successful in conjunction with that Kickstarter. You know, we caught some venture capitalist attention. My partner helped really bring in that money. And all of a sudden, you know, when this whirlwind was over, I was no longer the sales guy. I was the product guy. And now my job was shifted entirely from choosing colors, making sure quality specifications are being hit and going to China a bunch and basically overseeing production and designing new products, which of course I had no experience in. Oh man, talk about hit the ground running. That's like you're jumping straight into the frying pan on that one. Totally. I'll never forget it too. The, we were so small and so bootstrapped that I ended up, I'll never forget the first time I was in China, just not speaking Chinese, no idea where I'm going, can't read any signs. The Google maps are way off. Like you're nothing is correlating. And people are like, hey, look at this guy. Like, who's this guy? Hey, let me take your bag. Let me take, and I'm just like, ah! like just yelling, just yelling nothing at people. Like, get the fuck, like, get away. You know, I jumped on this train. I got off the train. They're like, don't take the bootleg taxis. And the line for the big taxis was way too long. And I'm like jumping in a bootleg taxi way deep in the mainland China. And, and yeah, that was jumping in to the deep end real quick. And it was really cool to see the growth there. You know, the product allowed us, the product redesign allowed our sales team and our marketing team to start putting the product in different places. And and it was cool and scary to have that success. Like cool to have it happen. And then secondly, it was just a bit scary to think, shoot, can I back this up? Like, was this just a one-time kind of fluke? Major imposter syndrome. And so, yeah, that was where I was, you know, mid-2013. So it sounds like that went pretty well. What made you go from this company that you, you know, were now, I guess, starting to cut your teeth in in a totally new role to starting Knox? Well, that's a few years. And uh, basically, you know, that Boombotics company, we raised more venture money, which means more dilution of the core founding team. And eventually having to kind of raise another round in a bit of a pinch, our board was like, hey, we're putting in a new CEO. And at this point, our new CEO came in and he had kind of done what I had done when he was my age and was like, okay, you're going to China, you're going to go, you know, four times more. We're going to have to get the cost down. We're going to develop a good, better, best. So I ended up going to developing, you know, a full line of speakers. We ended up working with Wu-Tang. We sent them a speaker. Riza got it and goes, man, we got to put the music in the speaker. And so the next thing, you know, I'm out there in mainland China, like with a, you know, a Dropbox file of an unreleased Wu-Tang album that I'm working in the factory to load just kind of was mind blowing. But we designed headphones with them. We basically ran the company up and then overproduced inventory and basically cratered the business. It was pretty tragic to go from having some success to then having a tremendous amount of success. And right as that was happening, JBL, Beats, UE, which is Logitech, like they were really sinking their teeth into the category, spending a ton of money, and we kind of got ran out. So that company, you know, we ended up, it ended up going under in the current form that it was. We sold the brand. It's being run out there by someone out in Brooklyn, totally unaffiliated. And I was unemployed. Uh, and so moved into the Citadel of Excitement with some friends and built a 3D printer and was quite into like the dental space thinking, man, there's some business opportunity here, but quickly realized that I just didn't want to talk to dental people all day. I could barely talk about that with my friends. And that's kind of when the idea of binoculars emerged. My friend and roommate at the time, 
came like stumbling in one night after outside lands and was like, man, it would be sick if we had some vibey like binoculars for outside lands for the show. So you didn't look like a creep. And that really got the wheels turning. And I started looking into like the current market. We bought some little binoculars and used them to check the surf and realized, man, these are fun. Like you can check the waves. You can look at these little raccoons. You can look at birds. There was like all sorts of fun stuff to look at, but the binoculars were pretty cheap. So we got some other ones and they were just big and bulky and realized, man, there isn't a good small set of binoculars. Like that doesn't make you look like a total spy. And so... And in conjunction with that, you know, the wheels were turning as far as the brands in the space. We've got Bushnell, we've got Vortex, and they're really much speaking to the same customer who's like the badass, tactical American, like, you know, machismo man who is hunting and, you know, covered in camo all the time. And, you know, when you look at these things, when you're in the industry, you can peel back the layers pretty quickly, right? Bushnell is not Bushnell owned by the guy who started it. That guy's long gone. It's owned by a Vista Outdoor Group. Vista Outdoor Group, they make their money selling ammunition. They're the ones who are cutting checks to the NRA. And you just kind of, and as a brand builder and a consumer, you're like, man, people are going to start caring about this stuff. And I don't think any of my friends, if they knew that, would buy a product that they have this big you know, corporate kind of structuring. What can we do in the brand space? How can we have some fun here? And kind of just developed, started developing from that point. That's crazy that you went from speakers to, well, almost the dentist space, I guess, like a little down that rabbit hole and landed in binoculars. When you like really pair them up, it's such an interesting progression of, I don't know, focus. Yeah. I mean, the dental thing was fun. It was like a fun thing. I was building a flosser and I was building a toothbrush and I thought, man, these replaceable heads, like a baller handle that seemed like made out of metal or CNC'd like onyx, like would be just so cool. This would be so dope. And there's a huge total addressable market and business this and business that and use the 3D printer to build out prototypes and samples and, you know, had a business plan written, had a deck written, had the logo designed, and then just kind of had that moment of like, I just don't want to talk about this all day. I don't want to write about dentistry stuff. I personally don't have the best dental hygiene. I'm not the best dental hygienist. And so I just kind of found that it wasn't authentic. And, you know, with a binocular concept kind of developing, to be honest, I had started contacting different factories and seeing who was down to work with me and started designing some early versions on the 3D printer. But get this, as I was talking to a factory, I found a product that I liked. They admitted that they made that product and the cost was something like 25 bucks, waterproof little binoculars. I go, man, that's the cost. And then I go on to Amazon and it's being sold for $43. And after, you know, with the recent scars of Boombotics like cratering, I mean, that hurt. That really sucked. Looking at getting into an industry where one of the top products like margin is just non-existent, basically, I just immediately was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to take another job. I took a job in San Francisco. I took another job out at a security company. And literally like two years went by, had these initial conversations. I was working in tech, had a design at a security company, designing packaging, advertising, building ways to like, you know, build a direct-to-consumer brand in a heavily venture-funded situation with really smart people. And just realized, man, I don't want to sell home security. Like, this is really fun to design. It's really fun to think about and build user experiences. But I started going back to the binoculars as like a pet project, as a design project, almost as an art project. No one knew about it. I was formulating the product, 
made probably 20 prototypes on the 3D printer. I mean, all just as like a passion project and built a brand out that really felt like the brand that I wanted to see, not out of like a business case study, you know, timeline, but rather just thinking about how cool it would be if there was a brand that made binoculars and stood for the values of, you know, environmental and social consciousness and said stuff that was totally different than the way binocular companies are speaking today. And it was just like a fun passion project that I had no bosses, no rulers, no one, no one knew. It was just a fun thing. And before you know it, word got around on the block, like an outer sunset. And this one pretty cool artist, woodworking artist goes, Hey man, I heard you're doing binoculars. That's sick. Can I get like your prototypes? And I was like, I'm honored. Yes. Like, please. And I think at that point in retrospect was really the moment where it was like green light. Like when someone asks you for a prototype of what you're building out of genuine interest to use, you have done something right. And so that was kind of the beginning of it. It's also kind of cool because you're taking like a tool, like binoculars are like extremely useful, right? They do what they do well, but you're right. Like, you know, there's a point where people look at binoculars and like, it's somehow isn't cool. So you just be like, "Ah, I don't want to bring this with me. I don't want to do whatever. But by basically rebranding how people look at binoculars as a whole, in terms of just like being more open to like having them, using them, bringing them to, you know, the beach to actually like check out the surf, things like that. It's almost like you're, you are really filling up the space. You are really like carving out your own piece and just making it opened up for people to actually understand and appreciate what you're doing. It's incredible. Thank you. It was a really strong parallel to Boombotics. Now, if you can imagine, I don't know if you guys can listening can go into a time machine back to 2010 and look at what portable speakers looked like. I mean, now they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. Everyone's got them clipped on. 2010, portable speakers were black little capsules or black little bricks. And they were made by AT&T. You know, AT&T literally made a speaker and like Jobly and, you know, Logie and just like stupid, horrible tech brands that were like dorky little gadgets. And their shit was called like the XR280. Like just no brand, nothing. Products weren't that good. We came in at Boombotics and we're like, we're going to change this up. We're going to make this thing like streetwear and make the product customizable, drop it in 15 different colors, have artist collaborations. And this was like 2011. And we really kind of pioneered the space. Like I think we got, we were too early and then we were too late, kind of in the same business scope. So for binoculars, it was really just like, taking the exact same page out of the same textbook, by the way, which doesn't exist as a textbook, but taking that exact same page out and going, man, all binoculars are black. All binoculars look like you're going to go raid the Capitol, like tactical, militaristic, all the design. I mean, the design language is so homogenous. It's incredible. Like tactical. Yes. Every binocular and like the colors black or dark green and that's it. And so in this case, the design was extremely fun because it was pretty, it's a trippy design. It is weird. Inspired by like BMX mushroom grips, inspired by artists like Sol LeWitt and Frank Stella, like really just rewriting what this thing could look like and doing that in a way that was, again, like an art project. It was fun. It was like shaping a surfboard. I mean, I'm sitting here next to like 30 models that were printed over a five month period that were just like so minor. The details were so minor as to how it fits in the hand. And then, you know, once we got that right, telling that color story, it really did feel like kind of a 
similar page of out of that boombotics playbook. And it's really the perfect way. I mean, you spent the time to think about what you wanted to be. It's clear that you did like, I don't know, countless iterations and are still playing with new things. Once you kind of had your product figured out and you knew what you wanted the first, you know, binoculars, the first like couple models to look like, what was the next step? How did you build Knox provisions as more than just, oh, they make binoculars into like an actual brand? That's great. You know, in the meanest way possible, in the least emotional way possible. And that was just from experience. When we first built Boombotics, you know, it's like, let's go shoot a video. Yeah, we're so cool. Our brand is sick. Let's, you know, $12,000 later, you shot a video. It lives in the About Us page and you're five website visitors a month. No one sees it. <laughs> and so I didn't quit the day job and really just built like a minimum viable product in the most tech term possible. So what's a customer going to see? Well, they're going to see an Instagram, you better have an Instagram and some cool photos. And they're going to see a website and they're going to need to be able to buy the product. So it's going to have to come in a box and the product itself should be solid. And maybe there's a little YouTube saying how to get started, but just in the most lean way possible. Because again, this is not like me sinking my life passion into this entrepreneurial dream that I must achieve. This was a science experiment. It was like, make the thing as good as you can, right? The product, you get that right. Do your best, take your time. And that's what I did. But once from there, it was building out like, yeah, build out a package, out a fully recyclable cardboard, just carved that on the kitchen table, got the factory to get tooling going and made a first little production run and built out a little website on Shopify, which I had luckily been learning how to use in the day job. And then put a little Instagram page together, right? And that was enough to kind of have something that's consumer facing without doing too much crazy you know, over the top bells and whistles and talking to everyone and running in a bunch of different directions. So get this, I build the first hundred and, you know, immediately post on Instagram, like, oh, check it out. I just went to the airport and picked up these binoculars, which is kind of a trip to like go to SF cargo terminal. And immediately people are DMing me like, yo, can I get some of those? Can I buy those tomorrow at this bike ride? Like, can you bring me a set? And that was cool to see. And I planned to launch them in August. And in the meantime, I hit up my buddy Bernard at Acquire Magazine, which is a cool blog. I met him on the way to CES years ago. And he's a really cool guy. He'd covered Boombotics. And I'm like, what do you think? I'm making these binoculars. Like, what do you think of these? And he goes, I don't hear from him for a day. And then all of a sudden, he just sends me back a live link. He's like, oh, these are sick. I just posted it. And I'm like, oh, what? And then the next thing you know, like a few other little bottom feeder sites, like see his site and then like copy everything and post on their site. And the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm getting orders. And I'm like, whoa. And then like more orders are coming in. And I'm biking to work, slapping labels in the boxes, throwing them in the UP. Like luckily the boxes ship themselves, but it was a trip to kind of have it leak out and do no advertising, but actually have like a little drumbeat of sales. So by the time I launched in August, like I think Uncrate picked it up right off the bat and Uncrate picked it up. And then the next thing you know, Huckberry calls and they're like, hey, we've been looking for binoculars for a long time and you guys are on Uncrate. And the Uncrate guy's email came through like from the acquire post. And it just sort of like was easy to track at that point. And we got onto Huckberry and, you know, from that point, I was feeling pretty good about it. So that was kind of how I rolled it out. And that fall just did direct Facebook and Instagram ads. And 
did that in a way, again, unemotionally saying, shoot, this seems cool. I like it. Seems nice. People like it. There's all these indicators. But what we need to do is run these ads with someone who can manage them and see what the return on ad spend is. See if we can get a favorable return. Because if you can't, quit. (laughs) If I can't get a favorable return on ad spend in a holiday period, I'm going to quit and be done and go back to another job and maybe another idea will show up. But the ad spend was a favorable return. And that next spring, I left the job. And that also just so happened to be the beginning of COVID where our factory shut down and the world shut down. And it was a wild, scary time to be out of a job and with this little fledgling binocular business. But at that point, that was when I knew, okay, like we've kind of validated the brand, the product, the stuff that was slow to build. People dig it. And again, it started with the buddy saying, hey, can I get your prototype? And my friend, Melissa being like, oh my God, can I give you cash for those tomorrow? Like take my money to them leaking online and selling all of these things were good indicators, but to actually put data to it, it was really confidence inspiring to say, yeah, all right, we can run this thing. And so that's where I was come the grand shutdown. In a way, it kind of came around perfectly. So many people got outside because of COVID that they were probably like, you know what? I want to see nature see what i'm doing from a different perspective i feel like i mean you're not going to use binoculars inside unless you're at like some sort of giant sporting event or something unless you have a humongous house yeah you can't really use them inside your tv's on the other side yeah exactly you can watch your neighbor's tv (laughs) a little weirdo no we have that in the box don't be a creeper that's a nice little uh reminder right that but yeah i mean who could have seen that coming right no one i mean nobody and Frankly, China shut down first. And so all of a sudden, our factory was just like, they were offline. And my boss at my last job, just a really great dude, goes, dude, you realize like everything's going to shut down next week. Like you should probably stay on for a few more weeks and, you know, we'll keep you, you know, and this was in February. And then sure enough, like I left in March and my last day was the day that we came up to Tahoe. We got snowed in with seven feet of snow. And, and that Sunday, they, closed the lifts. And that Monday, they announced they were closing San Francisco. My partner and I had both changed our careers at this point. So we decided to stay. And also a a friend of mine who I had known for sort of like a friend of a friend who we had known each other as skier, mountain biker person, hadn't ridden, hadn't skied, but we just, and I knew he did finance and operations work. We had started talking and he also came up that weekend and also decided, hey, like, I'm down to help. I'll help build out a financial model. And he ended up moving up to Tahoe as well that spring. And that was really the beginning of kind of Knox, the real growth period, which was exactly that. All of a sudden, that outside magazine article that we got in in November, like seeded the product, came out in May in the midst of this outdoor boom. And we were basically balancing increased demand for the product and a supply chain that was just saturated. I mean, but not just our binoculars were selling well. Golf, cycling, hunting, like all sorts of outdoor gear products were just blowing up in the supply chain. I mean, the lead times were doubling, tripling, quadrupling. So yeah, it was a balance to manage this incredible demand and a drain on the supply. And so that's kind of where we had to get really creative and really kind of evolve as a brand, which meant when I say evolve as a brand, I mean, not just being politically correct, but being very active in communication. People talking shit on Facebook ads, us talking shit right back and taking a stand for what we value and seeing like 20 people like that comment and seeing that ad perform exceptionally well and doing pre-orders. We're with 
say, hey, we're going to ship to you on August 15th. And this is June. Okay. And the whole time giving them a little email every month saying, hey, you know, your stuff is still being built. It's right on time. Hey, it's shipped. Hey, it's in our warehouse. And then by the 15th of August, they're getting a tracking number. So it became a very kind of active direct-to-consumer business during 2020. We launched a bunch of new colors and really just did a lot of pre-ordering and delivered on time. So it was a challenge. It seems like things also really came, like there's some serious synchronicity there where, you know, the right thing came. And even if it was the wrong thing, you handled it in the right way. And I feel like that kept you grounded and keeping your momentum, pushing everything forward. It was exciting for sure. It was exciting to see, you know, going into the holiday, selling without any promotion and without any product in stock and just getting like atmospheric return on ad spend. That's a big word, but you know, doing well without trying, like not doing promotions and not even having product in stock, but having people see us and understand like, I know what binoculars are. I've never needed them. I've never wanted them from what I've seen. And so we're bringing all these new people into the category, you know, and and with that comes like, I think the responsibility when you're actually building a product and shipping a lot of it, you see how much shit you're making. I always equate it to like the giant foam finger that you would get at a sports game. That giant foam finger is made with raw materials way the hell in somewhere. It's trucked, you know, to a factory where that's converted into a raw material. Then it's trucked to another factory where it's injection molded. Then it's put into a poly bag, put into a box, put onto an ocean freight or air freight, put into a port, driven across the country to be used one time. Like, yeah, put it on at the game, you wave it around and you're drunk and you're on the way out and you throw it in a garbage can. And that thing lived like six months to get produced for your like two hours of woo-ha happiness and you throw it away. And that's the end of it. And it lives in a landfill for the next 50 years. And so creating something, you know, there's a lot of responsibility in making something that's actually useful. And so we really set out to make binoculars that were used like more than any other binocular. 95 bucks, like they're great quality. They bring a lot of utility, but like take them everywhere, (laughs) use them, break them. We have a lifetime warranty. Like we're just really happy to build a product with high utility. As of this year, we're climate neutral, which is a great program. It allows for small businesses to calculate what their carbon footprint is and then actually spend to offset that carbon footprint. And they do it in a way that's just, it's lean and it's, you know, within like confidence intervals gets the job done. And it allows a brand like us to show that that's what we care for. Obviously, plastic-free packaging, long-lasting product, a lifetime warranty, so cradle to cradle, but then focus on that climate neutrality. And then also, one thing I want to mention is we've been 1% for the planet since launch. And at that period, that 1% for the planet, you know, a lot of orgs are doing things like Saving the Waves, which is a great organization and a phenomenal film festival. And, you know, other sort of philanthropies that were really oriented towards sort of conservation and outdoors. And we took a bit of a different approach from the start, which was thinking, I feel like myself as a privileged white straight male, I've been on a lot of tops of mountains, mountain biking and skiing and have gone, oh, this is so great. If only like everyone could experience this. But then looking inward at the industry and realizing that, you know, the faces in 2019 and the whole kind of a lot of that long period of the outdoor industry, you know, were not representative of any diversity. I mean, it was white males, white females, 
type two fun kind of stuff. And I just, you know, really thought from the get-go, if we actually care to have people be stewards of the environment, there needs to be communication and encouragement of all people, of all like walks of life, specifically black, indigenous people of color, encouraging them to one, participate in the outdoors because it's amazing for mental health and just for your overall well-being. It's free. It's it's not free, but it's something that's there. It's yours. It's everyone's. And then on the flip side of that, with time spent outdoors, you know, you see the things, you see how the ecosystem works and everyone should be seeing that sort of fragility. And so we ended up working with Trips for Kids Marin, this organization in Marin that gets you know, underserved youth in the Bay Area out on mountain bikes and shredding in nature and just sort of getting out of their usual sort of routine on a weekly basis. Like it's not just like a one time, oh yeah, we're going to go take you kids here and then see you never. It's like a weekly, like a, almost like a school sport. And the kids that are really into it can actually go earn a bike out of this shop called the Recyclery in Marin. And, you know, a bike in the outdoors in my opinion, is just the ultimate vehicle for exploring, for being present, for getting places, and also, as of this year, for birding, for <laughs> for seeing the coolest birds. You know, you just stop and whip out the binoculars. And uh, yeah, we really have taken environmental justice and social justice as two huge pillars in our business. And it's more than just that. How do we act on that? Well, we support financially organizations that are working to kind of empower underserved people in the outdoors, led by those people who they're trying to help. And then two, we share the authentic stories of how, you know, binoculars are used with a very diverse group of people from the activities that they're doing to their perspective on the environment, to who they are as a person and where they come from. And instead of just posting pretty photos on Instagram of a quote unquote, diverse, like group of people, every person that we share has depth. We have a full interview of them. We learn about their experience in the outdoors. We learn about how they think it could be better. And even though we have a small platform now, our goal is really to communicate their stories, their voice as our brand, because we're more than a product and we're more than just the people at the company. So it's been a challenging kind of set of circumstances to navigate, but it's been good. It's interesting too. I mean, I feel like one of the things that helped, and obviously you said this a little earlier, but one of the things that helped you really pick up momentum is keeping the right amount of emotional distance from what you're doing to look at it analytically. And now that, you know, you've figured out a lot of what Knox is and how it exists, it seems like you're really building on your vision to help bring people, more people into the outdoors and really open up the space. Has your relationship and how you view Knox changed? Do you have more of a, a vision of where you want Knox to stand within the grander outdoor space? Yeah, absolutely. That perspective has very much changed. I would say the unemotional part is really when you're establishing product market fit. And to all the entrepreneurs listening and with your idea, like ruthlessly, unemotionally figure out product market fit. Build the best product you can build the best brand you can and the best messaging around it, and then start to like really see if there is good product market fit. And the reason why I bring that up is just simply like opportunity costs. Like, is building a company easy? Absolutely not. Is it a grind, you know, where you're missing a lot of friends and you're up super late and super early and always feel like you have an endless to-do list that's never getting done? It's stressful. So you want to make sure that if you're doing that, do it in a way that actually has like market viability. Otherwise, 
take a nine to five, shut that computer at four o'clock, like go mountain bike, go ski, like get out there. So that was the first thing. But once product market fit was kind of confirmed, you could say, no, it's been a really key process in building out the brand. And it is a lot more emotional now because Knox now feels like it's a brand. And I think of brands a lot as people, like they have a persona and I want Knox, the brand that we're building to lead culturally, at least like to show what a new brand in the outdoor space should stand for, to show that these social and environmental values, things like plastic free packaging. I mean, you're making products to go outdoors and you're putting poly bags and all your crap. Get out of here. I mean, that's just, it's 2021, like simple things like that, that our customers love, by the way. So really putting the values on our sleeve and building the brand that we want to kind of inspire others, incumbent brands, new brands, but really show that, no, if you want to hit diversity you know, metrics, it's not just hiring a pretty model who's not white and taking photos of them in a light tent and then saying, see you later. It's working within your community, finding the people who have incredible stories, sharing their story, sharing their depth, paying them and that kind of depth. So when you go onto the Instagram, you can go deeper. You can peel back the layers and basically find the values, hopefully, well underneath that. And so that's the goal is to build a brand that can be you know deep and to build a brand that really represents what we talk about and what we care about. And it's very hard. <laughs> it's hard to... Uh, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders and it's a lot of process and, and building, but that's really the goal here. So there feels like a lot more kind of responsibility now that this thing does exist. I think you're doing it right, though. I mean, it seems like, you know, at the forefront of everything that you're saying, there's the idea of community and it's looking at it as more of a unifying thing versus like a commodity, right? Like people always talk about like, oh, I think they get caught in the, uh, I don't know, the fog of trying to just build a community just so things look good where it feels like your approach to what you're trying to do is build a community that is more collaborative and more, you know, comes together to really stand for something, right? Versus just selling more products. And to me, I think more and more people that is becoming a important thing that people are realizing, you know, I have values. I want to support something that shares my values, getting into the outdoors, opening up the space so that everyone can enjoy it and really get the benefit and just enjoy being in nature. Yeah, you know, and I think everything that we do is very different from binocular companies. Oh, yeah, big time. It's a lot more similar to a lot of, you know, other brands like Cotopaxi and Rumpel that are kind of leading the way in the outdoor space and having a cool color story where, yeah, you might have someone walk into like Hanson Surf in San Diego, see the product, not talk to anyone and go, oh, this is cool, yellow binoculars. And hopefully, as they start to peel back the layers, they'll go, wow this is something really dope. Like this is more dope than I had expected. Or if someone stumbles across the Instagram that they're able to kind of, yeah, just peel back the layers and just go deep and, oh, find the product. And yeah, it's not a toy product. It might look cool. It might be colorful, but damn, our optics are like the backbone. They're great. And just to feel kind of like wanting to just build the sort of foundation. And then from that foundation, be able to not worry about the product quality not worry about our design and our packaging and our supply chain, and then start speaking on kind of on top of that about things that are really meaningful to us, to the people we know in the outdoor space. 
and having that dialogue without having to kind of defend our product or our brand or our plastic free packaging. Yeah. And it seems, I mean, for everything you're doing, it seems like that's lining up perfectly. I mean, you're doing it right. You've done it right every step of the day without having to create any kind of artificial anything, you know, built a solid product, built a community, and it's easy to stand behind something like that. I think that that's where what I was saying earlier, again, to any entrepreneurs listening or people considering building is, is like that product, get it right. Like really, really get the thing right. And, you know, that took a long time. The conversations with our factory started in 2017, you know, and when you're talking to a factory, like they, you really need to sell them on your vision and how you actually will be successful because I'm sure they get a lot of inquiries, but to work, you know, in conjunction with engineers domestically, with engineers in the factory, with myself and the 3D printer designing it, you know, it took years. Those conversations started in 2017 and in 2019 is when the product kind of first kind of trickled its way out and still had a bunch of problems. You know, the first hundred pieces, they all came in the box backwards, you know, and you had to go to the warehouse and kind of rearrange it. But again, with that product dialed, then it allows you to kind of move that out of the forefront of the conversation necessarily and really speak about how we care about the things that we care about. And oh yeah, the product, if you want the product, it's great. No big deal. <laughs> so it looks like our time is running a little short, but, and I usually ask if you have any advice, but I feel like you just really nailed it for entrepreneurs or anyone interested in starting a business, anything like that. So we'll end on a high note. What is the best part about running Knox? The best part about running Knox, there's a lot of cool things. But to be honest, it's the kind of dynamic nature of the role. So from being the guy who's the designer, prototyping and designing, and I'm sitting in SolidWorks, moving the most minor shit, to then building a website and writing copy and shooting photography, to then building a direct-to-consumer kind of portfolio and figuring out how to manage these processes. You know, now we've launched in retail. We're in 100 plus stores. We've got a really rad rep team. And it's this evolution of the role that's so exciting. And I kind of tie it all together under design where it's designing now an organization and using tools like ClickUp and how we structure all of our photo storage and all of our internal communication and project management. And that stuff, I mean, is really the stuff that I wasn't doing way back in the day. And now it's building and designing the sort of business structure and planning that just feels like the role constantly evolves as we get to different points. So as much fun as it was to design a product, and I'm still continuing to design some really cool stuff, that's no longer the focus. And the focus isn't responding to customer service inquiries. So that dynamic nature it kind of just feels it's exciting and growing and new. So that's where we're at. Man, that sounds incredible. As a bonus, do you have any, um, I guess, big plans for what's next with Knox Provisions? Yeah. Well, we released some monocular this year. That's just so cool. Really just leaning into that compact, lightweight, affordable. But we've got you know, a lot of customers who say, I love you guys as a brand. I love your style. I love the design. Can you make something like a little more legit? Can you make something, you know, for someone who might have graduated from their intro to bird watching class? And we've got some cool stuff in the works that is maybe not how people would think of Knox based on what we offer today. That is, you know, going to be dropping in the spring. So yeah, we're excited for some new stuff to come out that kind of will solidify our 
you know, reputation about standing for quality. Yeah. So we're building. All right. Keep your eyes peeled, people. <laughs> oh, man. Matt, it's been great today. Thank you. Yeah. No, I was just going to say the pleasure has been all mine. For anyone who wants to find out more about what you're doing, maybe more about your story, or pick up some binoculars of their own, where's the best place for them to head? You can go to knox.watch or knoxprovisions.com or just type in Knox on Instagram. That's where I would recommend going. Give us a follow-up, give us a, an email, and we'll keep you up to date with some really cool shit that is just not sales. So <laughs> thank you, Matt. Whew, we made it. Thank you again for tuning in to this week's episode of Built on Passion. Hope you learned something. Hope you maybe grew as a person. Maybe you have a new entrepreneurial idea. Maybe all of the above. Maybe you got a new perspective on your favorite hobby or favorite piece of gear and you just you fell in love all over again. I'm hoping for the last one. That last one actually sounds pretty good. I'm going to ask one last time for the people in the back. Please leave a review. It is super helpful and a great way to show your support of the show. And if you know someone who might be interested in this episode specifically, share it to them. And all joking aside, thank you for everything, for supporting what we're doing. In any event, that's it for now. I will see you next week on another episode of Built on Passion. Built on Passion.